Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Do you get a chance to exercise every day? If you don't, could you be a weekend warrior doing a lot of your activity and exercise on the weekends? If you have, did you ever injure yourself and wonder, boy, if only I had more time during the week, how could I prevent this injury by doing other activities and exercise? Well, even if you haven't thought that, you are going to learn something from our show today because we are going to be talking about all different types of preventable injuries and ways to use physical therapy as as a medicine, as a treatment, even more than you would some of our favorite over-the-counter friends like ibuprofen. We've got some folks in the studio today. We have returning guest, Dr. Rachel Cole. She is a medical director and staff physician for Queen Center for Sports Medicine. And we have one of her colleagues, Ryan Moore. He is a physical therapy expert in general sports medicine, and he also specializes in golf-related issues, which I have to say I'm going to learn about because mini golf is as far as I go. Now, as always, you are part of our conversation today, and as we discuss some of these issues, if you have a concern or a question or even a comment on how you've been able to make your activities safer by doing something else, some other type of cross-training or activity during the week, hey, share with us your story. You might just help somebody else along the way. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free from our friends in the neighbor islands and throughout the beyond, mainland, etc., 1-877-941-3689. First, I want to welcome our guests, Dr. Rachel Cole and Ryan Moore to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about your favorite form of activity. Ryan, what, what do you like to do? What is your favorite exercise, and how often do you get a chance to do it? You know, I think for myself, uh, I really enjoy varying the types of activities that I get. Um, And I I really try hard to make time, you know, between three and five times a week if I can. Um, Certainly, I'm a physical therapist, so um, I guess the old adage would be uh, you wouldn't trust a skinny chef, right? So you want to come to a physical therapist that is, is active enough that can show you the right direction. So for myself... I like to vary between running, a little bit of weight training. On the weekends, we do quite a bit of free diving, um, something new that we picked up, golfing, soccer. Um, We just really try to have fun with what we're doing. And I think that really should be the goal with any type of exercise. All right. I'd be a great chef. That's what I'll tell you. (laughs) But okay, so you naturally cross-train because you like different activities and you like to do those. And you said you find time three to five times a week to really put in some activity time and some exercise. And then on the weekends, you find something else. Do you find that you have more time on weekends, I would imagine? Oh, absolutely. Because a lot of the folks that you see as a physical therapist, I'm sure you hear the same thing again and again. I just can't find the time to do X, Y, or Z. How do you find the time? So for myself, because I work downtown um, and parking is limited at the Queens Medical Center, um, I'm actually someone that catches the bus to work. So for myself, it's it's easy to work in some light to moderate activity. You can uh, run after the bus. Can, Quick, let I me get on. I do that I'm pretty frequently, run. yes. Okay. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I walk several blocks a day. You know, we take the stairs whenever we can. Our, our office is up on the third floor. Um, and certainly my job is pretty physical. We're up on our feet for quite a bit, um, which I find to be pretty fortunate. Um, but, you know, it's it's always... If something is important to you, you'll make the time for it. I think that's what I I really try to get across to my patients. 
Um, and so even though, you know, we're exhausted after work, we, we really try to find some time to really up the ante and do a little bit between, you know, 30 and 45 minutes of moderate to more vigorous exercise. And I actually find that, you know, I sleep better when I'm able to exercise. I have a lot more energy going into my next day. Um, and in general, it helps me enjoy my weekends a lot better. Why is that? Well, you know, what I found, you know, especially going through graduate school. So in graduate school, you know, you're sitting 40 to 60 hours a week. You know, your activity is pretty limited. Um, and I found that that's when I was personally the most out of shape was when I wasn't making the time to exercise, when I was the most tired, when I was getting sick the most frequently. Um, and so what I found is that, you know, on the weekends, come Saturday morning, if I want to go play golf with my friends, um, I found that, you know, it was it was getting to be a struggle to finish 18 holes. You know, I would get to hole 12, 13, and I would feel pretty tired if we were walking. You know, my shoulders would start to ache. And it that activity that was supposed to be fun wasn't as enjoyable anymore because I wasn't as prepared as I could be. I have a feeling there's a lot of people out there saying, I think that might be happening to me. <laughs> so by doing more exercise during the week, you were able to see that you had more energy during the weekends to be more active, to do more things and to enjoy yourself. Absolutely. Okay. So it was almost like putting energy in the bank. You know, we talk about putting money in the bank, saving it for later. When you expend the energy during the week, you actually get interest on that. You get more of that over the weekend. You can do more of those fun activities you enjoy. That's correct. That's correct. All right. Sounds good. I'm still picturing you running for the bus, <laughs> literally running for the bus. Okay. And let's talk to you, Dr. Rachel Cole. What's your favorite activity? I love to surf. Okay. So out in the water, enjoying yeah. yourself. And you keep yourself covered from the sun, I imagine. Absolutely. From head to toe, literally, with a sun hat, sun shirt, sun tights, everything. Sure. Definitely want to protect the skin. Now, surfing can be an overall complete body workout. How often in the course of your busy day do you get a chance during maybe the course of the busy week, how often do you get a chance to go out into the water? Oh, gosh, not nearly as much not as enough. I'd like. Okay. Every surfer will tell you that. Um, but I try. I'm, I'm a mother of two small children, and I'm you know both my husband and I work full time jobs, so um, you know my schedule's tight. Uh, I do try every so often if I have an opportunity to go real early in the morning if somebody else can drop the kids at preschool and so forth. Um, Otherwise, I save it for the weekends. And like Ryan said, um, I try to work out, though, during the week. Um, and I don't always have that 30 or 45 minutes, but I really am a firm believer that some is better than none. And so I'll maybe go for a 20-minute jog. I'll get up really early, and it's not my necessarily my desire to get up you know, with the sunrise, but I will do that so I can squeeze it in because it means that much to me. But it has made me a much better surfer on the weekends. Uh, I have the energy, I have the stamina, and I've been uh, integrating lately some body weight exercises, um, some more plyometrics, even just the good old push-up um, lunges, body weight squats, as opposed to using any materials to help me. And that has made the biggest difference with my surfing. So let's talk a little bit about that, because I think, Ryan, you lead the life that we all wish we had, which is you get paid to exercise. I mean, not really, but you're physical therapist. You're a therapist. You get to do activities with patients and you have time. And maybe you get three to five chances during the week to really go out there and do activity. And Dr. Rachel, you're like reality, which is, you know, I've got full-time job, my husband, I've got two kids. I've got to find time for it. And you do. Amazing. And I'm sure, Ryan, you're an inspiration to a lot of the people that you work with. And yet you mentioned something really interesting, because for a lot of folks, they feel like I have to go somewhere 
to get my exercise. I have to go jogging outside or I have to go running outdoors or walking or go somewhere else. And yet you mentioned that sometimes just adding squats, lunges, push-ups, anybody could do that even in a limited space of their house and get some of that muscle strengthening. You know, we lose a lot of muscle mass as we get older. And that may be one of the reasons why it's you have to actually work harder just to keep what you got, let alone build up more. But you mentioned that you added these things in. Did you get a sign that you needed to? Did you just, you know, was it, hey, it's raining a whole bunch. I don't want to go outside. Let me do exercise indoors. What made you make that transition to say, I'm going to add using my own body as a way to exercise, even in the house, like isometrically, not even going to add weights. I'm just going to do my own thing. What made you think you needed it? There was a couple of factors, I think, that came together. One was that my husband took a job much further from home, so he was commuting, leaving earlier in the morning. So that time I normally had to go out for a jog or ride my bike, I couldn't. And I I take my kids usually to school. I'm the, the, the commuter. So what I did was I found things I could do in the home while they were still asleep or getting ready for their schooling. Um, And this was a perfect solution. And one of the things that actually has been a plus for me has been that if they happen to wake up early and they see me doing it, you know, they're three and they're six years old, they're tiny, but they love it and they'll do it with me. And it's just adorable to watch them trying to do jumping jacks or or sit-ups. It's, you know, it's, it's, they don't have that, that coordination, but they're already getting that love of exercise to take care of themselves. And so they're, they're getting some pride out of it too. Well, and what a role model. You know, they see you getting up, taking the time, putting in the effort. Ryan, you said you'll do it if it's important to you. You'll make the time for it. And then you get that bonus on the weekends. You have the energy to go outdoors, to go surfing, to do those physical activities that you really want to be able to do without having to hold back. And you don't get injured as, as frequently. I used to find that when I wasn't doing, for example, the body weight exercises, those those things like the lunges, that I was noticing that things would hurt the next day after surfing or that even surfing, things were getting stiff. It was harder for me to paddle. I wasn't as agile getting up on the board. I was falling more often. Um, and so I'm just not experiencing that to the same extent. I'm, I'm much more coordinated and I have the strength to stay balanced and I'm enjoying surfing more because of it. So again, another another example of using the activity that you put into your energy bank during the week really helps you on the weekends to to really have more fun with those with those activities that you love, like surfing. I mean, you have the energy, you have the ability, and you're not injured. And I can tell you one amazing thing about it. So I again, I'm limited on time. So I have found, for example, there's a seven minute workout, and that's not to say that's enough to burn the right calories and to stay in perfect fitness. Um, but if you have very limited time, to say I don't have time, really, I think we all could find seven minutes in our day right. to. So knock you've got to describe exercise. the seven minute workout. Yeah. So uh, not promoting this particular app, but I had found an application on the. Um, you know, it's I think right now only for the iPad systems, um, but it. it is called Fit Stars, the program, and I believe there's several different apps that have it. Um, and it's called the Fit Star Seven Minute Workout. It is absolutely free, and in fact, they have a variety of workouts that you can access free, all of which are body weight only. None of them require any other equipment. Some require a step up. So, for example, I have an an ottoman in our living room that I put a plank of wood over, and that is my step up stool because I'm not. I don't have any gym equipment in our home. Um, everything else is a wall for wall sits. But in seven minutes, you basically are doing a variety of things that involve your upper body, your lower body, and your core, and to work on balance so that 
holistically you're sort of addressing all of the key points in in seven minutes. So about every 30 seconds you're changing activities so you don't get bored of anything. I am dripping with sweat and I am panting by the end and I have noticed a significant change uh, both in my body composition as well as my agility and strength. Seven minute workout. I think I think I could find seven minutes. I mean, right. you know, I think anybody if they really had the interest and, and the Correct. desire to do that. I think that's really what limits a lot of folks. And people think they have to do something dramatic. You know, I have to go walk three miles instead of let me just go walk around for 10 or 15 minutes. Any bit is good. Now, you mentioned something interesting about not getting injured. Ryan, I want to talk with you. What are the most common injuries that you do physical therapy to help people with? What do you see most often? I would assume that it might be like back pain or joint pain, but I could be totally off. You're the therapist. What do you see in your office every day? So I think I want to preface this with just saying that the best predictor for a future injury is a previous injury. Okay. Okay. And so anytime we're working with a patient is we want to make sure that we understand what their history was. Now, having said that, if we're talking, you know, specifically about weekend worry injuries, I I think the classic would be something like an Achilles tendonitis or an Achilles tear, uh, patellofemoral or front front of the knee kind of pain um, and rotator cuff, rotator cuff uh, injuries and low back pain. You know, those are going to be kind of like your core four. Um, that you're going to see. And a lot of that's going to vary depending on what your activity is. Um, for example, in basketball, you know, you you most certainly will see more Achilles type of injuries and, and ankle sprains um, and, and less often rotator cuff injuries. Um, and then for golf, you know, you might see something on the higher level of back and hip pain. So let's talk about your big four. Let's kind of go from the bottom up to the top. And let's talk about what people could do to prevent having injuries. Not that it's not nice to see you, but what could they do to strengthen their body so that wouldn't happen? So let's talk Achilles first. For people who currently do not have heel pain, Achilles tendonitis, that that firm area in the back of right above your heel, you can kind of feel it, flex it a little bit when you move your toes up and down. If you were to try and strengthen that area to avoid pain or avoid injury, what should you do? So Just I, do a little tippy toe kind of stuff? What should you do? So I I think one of the biggest things that we see with Achilles injuries is what type of footwear are people using during the week? Important shoes. So especially for women and and a lot of men that wear dress shoes, you know, typically you're going to have something that has an elevated heel. Okay. And so something with an elevated heel, if you're wearing that for majority of your 40 hour work week or longer, um, what it basically does is it, it starts to shorten the Achilles tendon on the backside. So let's say that, you know, you're, um, you know, a female who's used to wearing two to three inch heels to work, um, you know, business casual. Um, and then the weekends, you know, you start to switch to more of a flat footed tennis shoe. Okay. And then you go out and play tennis. So now you've spent a majority of your week having gotten used to the Achilles being one length. And then all of a sudden you're, you're quickly asking it Saturday morning, you know, you're out with your friends and you're just all of a sudden jumping into the activity. And that rapid change can really set you up for some problems. So even more than just stretching your Achilles, it's watch what you're wearing on your feet. Absolutely. Okay. Is there a way that you can stretch your Achilles, make that stronger to make it less likely to get tendonitis? So I I like to let people know that it's if they have the opportunity to switch up their footwear during the week or even when they're at home to go barefoot, I think that there's always something to be said about that. 
Um, I think that some of the really simple exercise, um, you know, anytime you're waiting by that, there's a curb, you know, you can put your foot up on the curb and kind of let your heel drop down. So you get a very gentle stretch in the back of the heel. Um, and then for someone that's having more of a chronic type of nagging heel pain, um, we like to, uh, prescribe what we call like eccentric calf exercises. And so eccentric is basically, you know, the, the down portion of, of a movement. So we'll just use a bicep curl for a really simple, um, if you're lifting the weight up towards your shoulder, okay, you're bending your elbow, that would be the concentric portion of the movement. And when you slowly lower the weight back down towards the ground, that would be the eccentric movement. And so what research has kind of shown, and this, this actually happens to be, um, you know, pretty favorable for a lot of tendons is that eccentric training can actually help to reduce some of the risk for some of these chronic, you know, tendinopathies, these chronic injuries, particularly with Achilles tendonitis. And so the, the easiest way to do that for the calf is let's say that it's your your right heel that's bothering you, your right Achilles tendon. So what you'll do is you'll push up off the ground with your left foot, only your left foot, up onto your tippy toes, and then you'll switch your weight over to your right foot and slowly lower your heel and your body weight all into that right foot. And you'll kind of go in this circular motion. And so it, it will typically in the beginning be a little bit uncomfortable because you're asking the body to do something that it's not used to doing. Um, but what they found is if you do this, you know, anywhere between six and eight weeks that you can drastically change your risk for these chronic tendinopathies. All right. So that's a pretty simple sort of come up with your left. If it's your right Achilles, go down with your right. That's a nice circular way to think about trying to stretch out the Achilles, strengthen it so that you don't have the injury. So if it was your left, you would come up on the right, come down on the left. Mm -hmm. So the injured one, you try and bring your body weight down on from tippy toes to help stretch and strengthen that. Correct. Okay. And you you be careful with your footwear. You, Absolutely. You made that point really clear. <laughs> Watch what you put on your feet. And sometimes, as you said, go with without any footwear and just see if you can walk safely around your house and allow that flat surface of the ground to really mold your foot. And then you won't have to worry about heels and things, which are highly overrated, I would just <laughs> like to say. Okay. Any comments, Dr. Rachel? Any thoughts on Achilles? Don't injure it. Don't, Don't injure do it. That. That's for sure. Absolutely. I, I would definitely agree with Ryan that the eccentrics are um, one of the best things you can do. And you can certainly do that preventatively. There's no reason that you have to wait until you're having pain. You can go ahead and start stretching and strengthening. We early. could do it during our break. Well, let's go for it. <laughs> All right. Last time we challenged you to get up <laughs> That's right. off the ground without using your hands. And that was really rude of me. Okay. So, well, let's, let's take a little break in just a few seconds here because um, I want to talk some more about some of the other areas you mentioned, knee, shoulder, and back, Ryan, and kind of give people some preventative exercises they can do before they get an injury. And we're gonna we're all going to do a little circle Achilles stretch as a demo. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. I've got some great guests, physical therapy expert Ryan Moore, who does general sports medicine and golf-related issues. And we have Dr. Rachel Goel. She is the medical director and staff physician for Queen Center for Sports Medicine. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about other body areas you can strengthen and see if you can try that little activity during the break. We're all going to stand up and try it and let us know how you did. You can join us at 941-3689, toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. We're going to do our heel activity. The Pope preaches about a whole lot of things, including the markets. 
He says, the markets which immediately benefit from sales stimulate ever greater demand, as if there's some sort of conspiracy to get people to buy air conditioners. I'm Kai Rizdal. Capitalism, as Francis sees it, next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. Beth Geesting is the state's healthcare innovation director. We'll talk with her about the governor's new initiatives. Plus, Neil Conan joins us from the farm, and the Honolulu Fire Department is creating an art exhibit with the goal of promoting public safety. That's some of the conversation tomorrow morning at 8. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital, Infinity of Honolulu, and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Rachel Kowal. She is staff physician for Queen Center Sports Medicine and physical therapy guru Ryan Moore, who does a lot of work with folks who have golf injuries and general sports medicine injuries. And we were just doing our little heel exercises. Dr. Rachel, I just want to say you and I wear very conservative, comfortable shoes. Yeah, absolutely. I wear orthotic type shoes to protect my feet since I'm on them all day. Well, and you only get one pair. You know, there's no such thing as a foot replacement. Absolutely. Get shoes that are comfortable for you. And we did the little demo, and you brought up a really good point. You said you you start off with one foot going up on your tippy toes, and you come down with your other foot. But if you're on some kind of a step or some kind of a an elevation, then you can really stretch out that Achilles tendon by letting the lower portion of your foot go down below the upper portion and get a really good stretch. So Achilles tendonitis or not, anybody can do that. Absolutely. No harm done. And only something good. Only something good. Only and a benefit. If you want to hike or you want to do other activities on an uneven surface over the weekend, boy, it would be great to do this stretch during the week quite a few times because then you'll be less likely to injure yourself. Well, and if you're partial to heels, you know, even though it's not my favorite type of shoe, if you're partial to heels and that's the type of appropriate footwear for your, you know, type of employment, then you got to make sure that when you do get home, that's something that you do, that when you kick off your shoes, you do, you do the stretch. stretching and strengthening. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. if you have to wear them or you love them, you can still do it safely. Sure. Absolutely. All right. Let's go up a little bit. Uh, Ryan, you were talking about the knee. You mentioned patellofemoral, that patella, that kneecap that we talk about. And uh, sometimes that can cause people to have a lot of discomfort and pain. I see a lot of folks who come in and they say it hurts right above the kneecap. It's not really in the classic area for arthritis. It's usually something related to people who might be a little bit younger and not necessarily of the age where arthritis might be appropriate. There's a syndrome for it. They might hear another word that sounds kind of scary, but really isn't chondromalacia. (laughs) Tell me what are some good knee strengthening exercises. And Dr. Rachel, you can explain those two terms. Ryan, you go first. If I want to strengthen my knees, what should I do? So I think the way that we've changed our thinking about how to treat knee pain is that the most recent research really supports hip strengthening exercise in order to reduce knee pain. And the reason why that that's changed is what we found is that unless there's a direct trauma to the knee, you know, if you're playing football, someone runs into your knee, um, you know, your your son or daughter actually runs into your knee from the side, unless there's a direct trauma, you fall into your kneecap, it's actually the problem generally is going to come 
more predominantly from the hips. And so what we found is that people that have a job where they tend to have to sit, you know, the classic eight to 10 hours a day, your hips tend to get really weak and really tight. Um, and And the problem is that without good hip control, it's really difficult to have good knee control. Interesting. So if you're sitting around a lot and you think that your knee pain is because of just your knee, it comes from higher above. And those quadricep muscles, those big four muscles that make up your anterior leg, they all connect to the hip and to the knee. Absolutely. There's a reason why this makes sense. So what would be a good exercise someone could do for their hip that would help their knee? So a really simple exercise that we can have anybody of any age that you don't need any specialized equipment you can do at home with your body weight. Um, So let's say we're trying to specifically strengthen the right hip. So what I'll have someone do is I'll have them lay down onto their left side, okay? And I'll have them stack their knees up on top of one another. So their knees on top of one another and their, their foot and ankle are on top of one another. And we'll do what we call a clamshell exercise. So what you'll do, so if your right hip is on top of your left, you'll lift the right knee off of the left while you keep your feet glued together, just like a clamshell is opening. Okay, and what that does is it really targets the deep part of the hip that is often difficult to train or gets turned off from sitting all day. Interesting. Okay, so you're laying down on you're laying down in your opposite hip area. You've got your knees bent a little bit, and you've got them one on top of the other, and you just kind of open it up but keep your feet glued. Exactly. All right, we're not going to do this during the break because <laughs> that would require laying on the floor, but. I mean, we could. It is clean, but I'm not going to volunteer for that. Maybe you can, Ryan. Maybe we'll make (laughs) you do it. But let's talk about some of those terms because I imagine those exercises and activities, if they're helping to strengthen your knee, they're helping you if you have certain conditions like people here with patellofemoral syndrome or chondromalacia. What do those mean in English? So the basic layman's terms, the way I explain it to my patients is, for example, patellofemoral. Patella is kneecap, and femoral is referring to the thigh bone or the femur. So I explain it that this is the, the way the kneecap relates to the thigh bone, and that, in fact, it's its own joint, that you always think of the knee as just that big hinge that's, you know, uh, right in the middle of your leg, but actually there's two joints there, and the second one being the way the kneecap sits on the thigh bone and how it glides in its groove, and sometimes the cartilage underneath it or around that kneecap area can get inflamed, and that's the chondromalacia. Um, It can get irritated and inflamed and sometimes even wear down over time, Um, but and patellofemoral in, in general is just referring to an inflammatory or a painful process that's happening around that particular kneecap joint. The classic people we see it with are um, people who do a lot of jumping, for example. Even runners who, as Ryan pointed out, may have that weak core. Um, the classic example I think of is, is, you know, I deal with a lot of young athletes. So, um, for example, um, you know, that cross-country runner who maybe kind of played with their iPad a lot all summer um, and did a lot of screen time and, and so forth, and then all of a sudden comes into the running season out of shape. They've been doing a lot of sitting. They don't have a lot of muscle activation in the muscles that would be great shock absorbers, and so the knee ends up taking the brunt of it. One interesting statistic I remember reading um, when I was in training was that, in general, um, the thought is that when you're running or jumping, you can basically expect that about six to eight times your body weight is being felt through the knee joint. So if you weigh 100 pounds, that's about 600 pounds your knee has to handle. 
Okay, and how am I strengthening my knees so they can handle all those pounds? Well, that's where, uh, you know, we have the, thankfully, we have the expertise of somebody like Ryan to say, okay, um, you know, what I usually recommend for athletes is to look at all of the muscles, including the core, um, but looking at especially the hip as if we can shock absorb from the hip, if we can move appropriately from the hip, we unload those knees and we even unload the ankle. So where do squats and lunges fit in? Because I like squats. I hate lunges. (laughs) Can I just get rid of all of them or I probably (laughs) should do some of them? Which one is better? Well, that's a good question. I would say part of that answer also comes from the person. If, for example, if you have an injury or or some type of debilitating type pain that prevents you from doing one or the other, then obviously you want to stick with the things that are in in the, the, the exercise should not be painful to that joint. It should maybe fatigue the muscles and be painful to the muscles, but it should not fatigue or injure that joint. So if it's hurting that joint, that's not for you. Um, So like my fear of lunges, and we can talk about my lunge fear, okay, (laughs) because I may not be the only one, and if Um, I am, well, you're all going to hear about my fear, is that with a squat, if you do it correctly, you kind of can't really screw it up too much. You can do ineffective squats where you think you squat down. No, you didn't. But then you do the really good squats, and those feel good. But when you do a lunge, if your knee is out of alignment, if you're a little bit of a cheater, if you don't keep that knee straight and you kind of twist it and bend it a little bit to get yourself down further and then you come up, you could damage your knee instead. It's almost like it's really hard to screw up a squat, but it's really easy to screw up a lunge. Am I making this up? Is this crazy talk? Well, actually, we've actually seen people injure themselves as well with squats. I see um, a lot then of... Then it's crazy talk. <laughs> well, I, would, I don't know okay. about crazy talk, but it's absolutely true that it is probably easier to learn a squat if you're just talking about your body weight. One of the keys is to keep your weight on your heels, though. Right. A lot of people will lean forward, and they're hanging over their toes, um, and they're working their back and straining their back instead. Um, and that's where we get worried about, um, for example, I'll see athletes who decide to takes up weightlifting. And so now they're moving from just their body weight, um, which is a little bit lower risk, to carrying a bar on their shoulders. Um, and especially, for example, the football players who you know feel that, um, you know, that pressure to, to carry a lot of weight. Um, and if they're not doing the technique right, you know, very quickly, they can injure their back and then we'll see uh, muscle strains or, you know, even disc injuries. So you can screw up a squat. You absolutely can screw up a squat. But are you more likely to screw up a lunge? It's much, I think it takes much more coordination and strength to do an appropriate lunge, yeah, to do a correct lunge. Because you've got to keep that knee position straight. And you've also got to prevent yourself, the the kind of cheat way is not just letting that knee come out, but also um, putting your knee over your toes. And that puts a ton of stress on the knee joint. So it's easier to cheat with a lunge. Yeah, and, and to not when you're not doing it right, you're not getting a lot out of it, and you're more likely to injure yourself. Okay, so I can keep my lunge fear. <laughs> As long as I'm doing squats or learn how to do a good lunge and just stick with that. Well, I think one of the things that I, I know uh, Ryan can elaborate is that there's exercises for everyone. And even the exercises that you think are out of your league, there's modifications to make them in your league. A perfect example I give people is the push-up, that most of us are pretty intimidated by a push-up. I can't do a one-handed military-style push-up, no way. No, but we're not asking you to. Could you do it on your knees? Um, and could you modify where you put your hands so that you have got yourself in the appropriate position that's protecting your back, still getting the muscle benefit, and as you gain strength, you move to your feet and, you know, balance in that way. No different than something like, you know, you hear about plank position and a core, that's a core strengthening exercise. There's ways to modify that and change that so that if you have an injury or you're not as strong or you've never exercised before, we can find something for you. 
What if you're old? I often tell some folks who are older that if they wanted to work their upper body, they could do a bicep-like activity using the wall because then they don't have to worry because they can't get up off the floor or they have joint replacements or they have some kind of a problem that you could still, if your goal is upper body strengthening with a push-up, if you did it correctly, you could use your wall and then not have to worry if you can't get up. Absolutely. You Possible. Can. I'm not just making this up. Right. I mean, I am, but I'm not really making it up and it makes sense. And you could strengthen your triceps by okay. using an armrest chair to push up from seated to standing. Which is the other one, because if you don't have strong arms and you can't get up, no matter where you're sitting or if you're on the floor, you still can't get up. Right. Okay. All right. So maybe during the break, you know, I'll, Ryan, I'll make you demonstrate adequate lunges. That's what we'll do. But we don't have a break yet, so you're off the hook for now. So let's go up a little bit higher in the body. Let's go to the shoulder. You were mentioning rotator cuff. I think a lot of people hear that. They don't quite understand what that means. Hey, my shoulder hurts, and therefore, you know, I shouldn't move it. And that's probably the opposite of what they should do. So tell me what makes up the rotator cuff, and how do people injure it? And more importantly, how can they strengthen it so they don't injure it? So I think the the big thing with rotator cuff injuries and just really anything that we're examining is we always want to look at the joints that are also around the shoulder. And so, you know, from a traditional standpoint, rotator cuff injuries are, you know, we in the past, we've really focused on just the shoulder, just the four tiny muscles of the rotator cuff. And the way that, that our thinking has changed, much like how we, it's changed how we thought about the knee, is that now we're looking a lot at the scapula or the shoulder blade on the backside of your back. Yeah, what's that for anyway? And so the scapula is actually part of the shoulder joint, believe it or not. And it is a very important part about how your shoulder moves and it, it can greatly affect the quality of your movement. And so coming again back to that whole kind of postural syndrome, if you will, if, if I take the example again of someone sitting at their desk, typically what they're going to develop is what we call an upper cross syndrome. And what will happen is that the front of their shoulders or the pec muscles will start to get really tight. The trap muscles, which surround the base of the neck, will also get very tight at the expense that your shoulder blade muscles and your neck muscles will get weak. And so the reason why it's called an upper cross syndrome is that if you look at the way that the pec is oriented with the upper trap, they kind of form one diagonal. And then if you look at the way the neck is oriented with the shoulder blade, that forms the other diagonal. And when those two points cross over each other, it, it basically forms a cross. Um, and so, like I mentioned, you know, we're looking more and more at not just specifically treating the rotator cuff um, and we're trying to get away from that, just that pain model. If I get a referral for shoulder pain, I want to find out what the actual cause of the problem is. And typically, the problem is not going to be because the rotator cuff is weak. It's going to be because something around it is, is compensating for the way that someone is moving. And that's why it's important for us to look at movement patterns. So let's talk about the shoulder, because one of the things that I know about the shoulder is a lot of people will have their shoulder get stiff. They'll think they have a rotator cuff injury. What they really have is stiff or tight shoulder because it hurts, so they don't move it. So it gets even stiffer, and so they don't move it. And the shoulder's a really unique joint in the body. It craves movement. The more you move it, the better. So it's almost like in order to keep it from getting stiff, if it starts to get painful, you should stretch it more. I mean, nobody says, oh, look, you sprained your ankle. Go train for the marathon. Probably not a good time to do that. But if you, if you let your shoulder get too tight, that's bad news. 
Dr. Rachel, where am I? Am I right here? I've always told people when your shoulder hurts, it means you don't move it enough, rotate it around, stretch it around. You'll probably get better. Well, and I think just like everything else, we have to look at the origin of the problem. If it's because you, you know, fell off your bicycle and sure. dislocated your shoulder, different different okay. story, right? You don't go training for a marathon, don't don't go throwing a bunch of baseballs. Sure. How did this happen? If it's just inactivity, tightness, I right. just can't move it. Right. If I wake up one day and my shoulder's not working well or I haven't gardened and been in the garden for a while and I garden for a half an hour and I'm, I'm starting to get stiff and sore, you know, again, you're right. The best thing that we can do is, is gentle motion. It doesn't mean, again, you have to be, you know, swinging a baseball bat. But certainly, um, you know, we can do things like wall climbs, which is just if you don't have a lot of strength, just crawling your fingers up a wall until your arm gets all the way to the top. And if you get good at that, get your toes, you know, face the wall, get your toes up against the edge of the wall so you're literally pressed and you can go even further and really work the What arm. people don't know is that we're all sitting here in the studio and our <laughs> arms are going up and we're like climbing the we're wall. We're doing the itsy bitsy We're spider. doing it, right, yeah. right here. So, so yeah. good it's radio or else you'd see us all and be like, what are they doing? Yeah, what's so, wrong with these people? Right, exactly. So, okay. So you can do that. If you have tight shoulder, do something. If you have shoulder injury then talk with your doctor, talk with a physical therapist, figure out how to address that particular issue without hurting yourself more. Because I could only imagine if you tore, if you actually had a major injury and tore part of your rotator cuff and then you decided it hurts, I'm going to move it more, bad things could happen. And it's in and in the long run, you know, you just ranging your shoulder, putting it through some motion, even if there's a tear there. Technically, you're probably not going to do a lot of damage, but you are going to cause yourself quite a bit of pain. And again, like you mentioned, if you've had an injury in medicine, we call that a trauma. If we know that you've had something happen, I was swinging the baseball belt, bat and I felt a pop. Um, you know, I fell hiking in and I slipped and landed on my arm wrong. Those types of things, sure, you're going to want to see your medical provider. And even this, you know, concept of what we call frozen shoulder or a of capsulitis where the shoulder isn't moving well because it's starting to scar down on itself. Um, those are things that if you did see your doctor, more than likely you'd be sent to physical therapy where we help move you. We help get you moving. And that's the goal is, you know, part of what a lot of folks do is I'm going to take a whole bunch of ibuprofen. It'll go away eventually. And that may give you temporary relief. But when you use exercise and activity to really help you in advance before you injure yourself, you can also use that same physical therapy as a way to treat the injury so that you're actually getting stronger and better and not just becoming ibuprofen's best friend. Right. And I always tell my patients, you know, sometimes they'll sort of look at me with a, a face like, oh, are you kidding me? I have to go to, you know, physical therapy. I don't have time. And, you know, where am I going to work this in? And can't I just do it at home? And, and what I always tell them is, trust me, you'll thank me. You will be a much better athlete after this, not just because you'll be pain free, but you will be stronger. You'll be more agile. You'll be, you know, uh, more accurate with your stroke in golf or you'll, you know, be able to hit the ball further. There's so many benefits to physical therapy. And, and one of the things we actually have really touched on is even the preventive side of it. I always tell my patients, not only am I looking at treating you for this injury, I'm looking at the long haul, which is that we're preventing the future injury that you may have. Because as Ryan uh, mentioned, that we're addressing movement patterns. What's really the origin of this injury? Why aren't you comfortable in your shoulder? What happened prior to this that got us into this pattern? All right. Do you sit at your desk all day? Could you find a different way to, to move so you don't have these problems happen? All right. Well, this is all good information. And we're going to watch, well, 
I get to watch Ryan do an appropriate lunge um, during our next break. What uh, what we can do definitely is if somebody has any questions or concerns, we will try and go ahead and answer that for you or suggest that you talk with a physical therapist because that's something that a lot of folks, like you said, don't necessarily think that it's going to help them. I've never had a patient come back in 16 years after physical therapy and say, that was really horrible. Nothing got better. It didn't work. I've always had them get at least some benefit from it, even if it's more educational about how to do something correctly. And, you know, that's just a credit to your profession, Ryan. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Rachel Cowell. She is a staff physician at Queen's Center for Sports Medicine. And Ryan Moore, physical therapist du jour, he's going to do a lunge for us during the break. Maybe I'll video it and put it on our Facebook page, Ryan. Are you game? Absolutely. I put you on the spot there. Okay. When we come back, you can join us, 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We're going to video a proper lunge. Stay with us. On the next Humankind. It's saying everything you see is real to some extent, but there's something deeper beneath that, another reality that, that is below your mind's good and bad. Jonathan Starr, translator of Lao Tzu's ancient masterpiece of Chinese wisdom. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. When she came out the doorstep, my heart leapt. I had never spoken to her except for a few casual words, and yet her name was like a summons to all my foolish blood. Young Love, this week on Selected Shorts, from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with physical therapist Ryan Moore. And if you want to see his good, correct demonstration of a lunge, we've got a Facebook page. Take a look after the show. We're going to post that so we can all learn from the correct lunge, and we're going to also have him do a little demo of correct squats, too. Okay. And we also have Dr. Rachel Cowell here in the studio. She's the medical director, staff physician for Queen Center of Sports Medicine. And, you know, as we had this little break, we were hearing about the correct lunge. And, Dr. Rachel, you mentioned a really good point. Sometimes physical therapy doesn't completely cure someone from their discomfort, it may not be as successful as we hope because we have to look further for an injury. And I want to I take a moment to discuss that because a lot of folks may not realize that that's the case. I don't generally see physical therapy not help in some fashion, but I do see that it lends us to look closer for another diagnosis at times. And you mentioned that it's a good place to start with PT, but if you're not getting the success you expect, maybe there's something underlying it. Right, and a perfect example would be the topic we were on, which was the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, that there are times where, you know, there may be a little tear, for example, but that won't be the first line of treatment to go to surgery. And um, and why not? Well, because surgery is a is a good solution for many problems, but it's not the only solution or the right solution for all problems. And so sometimes we're going to try physical therapy first because if it can take away your pain, why wouldn't we? 
go that route where we don't have to go through an operation. Uh, then if physical therapy helps and you're, you're taken care of, great. And if your pain is persistent and it's not going away or it's still impacting the daily life activities you have, then we do need to look further. And that's where, for example, advanced imaging like an MRI might come into play. And if we find something there where uh, you know, a surgery, perhaps one through a scope, might be an appropriate intervention. So you can have a reason to do further diagnostic testing because therapy might have un, might have shown an underlying problem, such as a labrum tear in the shoulder or some other type of problem that may not get better with therapy alone. But because so many problems do, it's a good place to start. Right. And, and for many of us, uh, it is the absolutely the appropriate place to start. And I think a lot of people, sometimes they get hurt and the pain is so severe, it is hard to imagine they don't need surgery in their mind. They think this hurts so badly, it must need surgery. When truthfully, many, many injuries can get well with physical therapy. And of course, like I had mentioned earlier, not all. And so that's where we have to keep it on our radar that if you're not getting well, don't accept that you have to be living in that type of pain. Perhaps there is something more that needs to be done. What if it's not pain, but it's just loss of function? Like I've had some folks who have had shoulder issues and they no longer have shoulder pain. They can't necessarily take their left hand and put it all the way over the other side and touch their right shoulder, but they certainly can do a lot with their left arm and they don't have any pain. That's a good question. I think um, there'd probably be a, a million ways to skin that cat. Um, I think for some of us, uh, what I would say is... Um, and not to skin any cats. Well, that's good because I had this horrible <laughs> look on my face and I scared you and I went, <gasps> I thought, oh my goodness, what did I say? That's um, okay. We're just talking about many ways to solve a problem. Okay. That's right. So uh, what what I would say is this, that um, for some people, uh, the the best approach would be that if they're not in pain they're and they're happy with that solution and they're happy with what range of motion they have or their agility that they have, then um, you know they'll keep it that way. For others, if they're unhappy with it, then again, we may want to look into advanced imaging to see it, it's not hurting you, but perhaps you have a tear that is causing weakness and, and causing a limited range of motion. And so if we fixed that tear, you would gain those things back. And then it becomes a decision of, you know, is that something you want to pursue or not? Well, and it's always individualized. You know, I always tell people one size fits all of a solution means one size doesn't fit anybody correctly. So if you if you try something like therapy, if you try something like doing particular types of exercises, you don't get the response that you expect or you don't feel like you're as good as you want to be, always get checked out. There might be something else that can be done for you. And if you're happy with, you know, 85, 90 percent of what you were when you were younger, hey, that's great too. If, if it works for you and you can live your life like that, nobody's going to tell you otherwise. You don't have to try and restore something if the body has a way as it has a workaround. Absolutely. I think, you know, personally for me, when I work with patients, I look at it as a teamwork type event. And I, I don't try to dictate a plan. I try to give you your options and help you decide what would work best for you. Sure. What makes sense for you? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the back because that's one of the most common reasons that people come in to see their primary care provider in addition to seeing other orthopedic providers. And back is one of those things. Lots of people have pre-existing back pain from whatever reason, from they lifted something heavy. I don't want to say trauma per se because maybe they didn't have a big injury, but they just did something funny at home. And then they have back troubles. Let's talk first, Ryan, about something I could do to prevent back pain if I don't have it and never want to get it. 
if you don't have back pain and never want to get it. So I, I think the biggest thing that people lack, two things really, and anything, anytime we're examining someone's back or any joint, we're looking at what kind of stability do they have at that joint and what kind of flexibility or mobility do they also have at that joint. And you certainly need a combination of both. Um, I'm a big fan of the very simple exercise, the planks, the plank exercise. Oh, you had to say the plank. <laughs> it's the one everybody hates. It's like the push-up that hurts your toes, but you're doing it and holding on for as long as you can before you flop down exactly. to the ground and say, I can't exactly. do it. But okay. it, it's a surprisingly difficult exercise if it's something that you're not used to doing. Um, and, you know, kind of going back to that idea of back pain, you know, when we get a referral and the, the prescription says low back pain, that's a very general term because there can be many variations of what back pain means. Um, and that's why, it, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the lunge and the squat. And, and part of our exam is that we're looking at what do these person's fundamental movement patterns look like because they could absolutely have adequate strength, the adequate range of motion, the flexibility, all that good stuff. But for some reason or another, somewhere along the way, their body has found a way to do a movement pattern that's not correct or not in the right order. And that altered movement pattern can drastically change about how a back pain can manifest itself. So give me an example of like an altered movement pattern. I'm just trying to think like somebody who gets up out of the chair funny. I mean, what sort of what sort of a problem could somebody be doing without realizing it that would cause them back troubles? So I, I think the same thing. It goes back to that kind of that, that lunge and that squat movement pattern. Oh, so like my lunge fear. Right. Your lunge fear. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, if, if you're if you're let's say you're you're kneeling down into a half kneeling position because you're trying to pick up something off the floor. If you initiate that movement first by flexing at your trunk before you're hinging at your hips, that could be something that we would question about why is that movement pattern happening? You know, is it because the front of your hip is really tight? Is it because you don't have good stability in your low back? Okay, so I'm trying to picture this in my head and I got lost. If it's I drop a pen on the floor and I bend over to pick it up and I just don't use my knees, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I just like fold over like I can go pick this right, up. Right, right. So that would be a bad body movement pattern. Right, because even if you go back and you look at, let's say, a toddler pick up something off the ground. You know, they're not going to do it the classic way an adult does, which would be to keep your legs basically locked out, bend over from the hips and, and, and ride, out, ride it all out on your hamstrings. So okay? that's bad to do. That would be less than ideal. That's yeah. a nice way to put it. It's not <laughs> bad. It's less than ideal. It's a very politically correct way to say it. So when, when they always say use your legs when you're lifting something, what they're really referring to is don't bend straight forward, pick up your laundry basket and then carry it. Bend at the knees, bend at the hip, stretch at the hip. That's what they're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Okay. So you would say to somebody, you know, you might just trick them and say, oh, can you pick up that pen over there for me? And you watch them do it and go, ha ha, I got your trouble. Okay. That's a very simple test. <laughs> if your therapist says, pick up my pen, do not be fooled. They're <laughs> testing you. Giving away all our secrets. You're giving away. <laughs> I, I am. Yes, I'm giving away all the secrets. So doing something to proactively strengthen your back so that you don't have pain. Number one, pick things up correctly. Number two, do a plank. Is there any other activity somebody could do preventatively to avoid having 
back discomfort. A lot of times people talk about strengthening your core. It's not just your back. It's also your front. If your front is strong, abdominal muscles, et cetera, that helps to support your back. Is that true? Absolutely. And you know, I think a lot of that goes back to, you know, even Dr. Cole using body weight exercise at home as a form of exercise. When in fact, something simple like a push-up or a modified push-up is a great way to involve the trunk, the core, um, in a way that is functional, in a way that's simple, in a way that doesn't require a lot of equipment. And that's something that we tend to take for granted, again, going back to how do we spend the majority of our day. And you get to get up and down and do all these exercises. And Dr. Carla, you and I get to sit at a desk, but we do get to get up and see patients in exam rooms and then go back to sit at a desk and do some charting. Okay, so you, you've you've got one up on us, Ryan. You've <laughs> well, got one up on us. Uh, Ryan mentioned movement patterns, but there's also sort of that static movement pattern. What I mean is um, almost just postural, and we're seeing a, this epidemic of that, and I think it's sort of the... Okay, eye- we're all straightening in our yeah, chairs exactly. right now. Put your shoulders You can't back. see us, but we're all like now perfect posture because you said posture, and I got the guilt. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, that, but that's a huge part of, of sort of our work life now. We're hunched over computers. Uh, we're hunched over iPads or, you know, tablets and, and our free time. We're, we're on laptops, um, which are just not ergonomically really set up for us to, to have the proper posture. So we're getting that shoulder forward position. We're, we're getting that pectoral muscles shortening and those weak back muscles, the weak, you know, shoulder, uh, back of the shoulder muscles, the scapular muscles. And that is also a generator of pain. So it doesn't necessarily, it, part of it is how are we moving and part of it is how are we not moving. Um, it takes some of that control and strength to remember while I'm sitting and typing to get myself in the correct position, um, you know, to when I'm reading for pleasure in bed at night to get myself in that correct position uh, so that we're not getting into bad movements going forward. That's a really important point. A lot of activities that we do inadvertently, not even realizing we could be hurting ourselves in the long run and not noticing it when we're doing it. Now, when people have back pain, let's just go through a couple of simple principles of back pain, because I think there's a lot misunderstood about it. First of all, does everybody need an x-ray who has a little twinge in their back? No, absolutely not. Um, And for one particular reason that we just don't want that radiation if we don't need to, there's obviously vital organs right in the area. And not every x-ray is bad. But certainly, um, if this has been an ongoing chronic problem and it's never been addressed, certainly we could start with looking at is it muscular? Are there other things going on? Um, Obviously, if you you got hit by a baseball bat in your back different story. So trauma, you might need it. Mm -hmm. But if you just come in for back pain, a lot of folks who see me say, aren't you going to do x-rays and MRIs today? It really hurts. And you want to tell them, of course, we'll tell you exactly what's wrong, but they don't realize x-rays show bones. That's about it. They're not going to show discs. They're not going to show nerves. They're not going to show ligaments. And if that's where your, your problem is, those things might not even show up on an MRI in the initial phases. And even if they do, they might be in the wrong spot of your pain. Well, and and even if you do have some bony changes, um, arthritis, we can have something called facet arthritis and so forth. Those types of things that are in the back, even if they are bony changes, often the first line of treatment is physical therapy. Is strengthen the muscles around it. Okay. Now, another, we'll sort of, I like to play this game. I've stolen it from TV. I don't think there's any kind of copyright. Myth busting. It's not myth busters. It's myth busting. We're a little different. (laughs) So we myth busted the idea of an x-ray for every back pain. Not necessary. If you have trauma, that's different. No trauma, chronic pain. Hey, I picked up, picked up, you know, a box that was too heavy the wrong way. 
probably not going to be something you have to rush to get an x-ray about. Let's talk about rushing to take a lot of pills. I often have people say, you know, I took some ibuprofen, I got better, I felt better, I went back to my activities. Is that a good idea, a bad idea? Do I just love ibuprofen more than I should? You know, I think it's appropriate in certain circumstances and inappropriate in others. So So um, let's talk about when is it appropriate and when is it not? So the appropriate would be, you know, if you are trying to sort of feel out where you're at with this pain. Um, One of the things I tell people, too, is if you're not getting a good night of sleep because of the pain, it is appropriate to take something so that you can rest. That is a time when we release growth hormone. That's a great time to do some healing is when we're sleeping. That being said, if we're taking bottles of ibuprofen to get through our injury, I That's think probably not it's good. probably too much. Okay. Um, and I, obviously, if there's other things that go along with it, if there's swelling and bruising, there's something else that might make us think there's a break in the bone or there's a tear in a ligament. You would want to maybe take your pain medicine to get you through the suffering. Obviously, we don't want you suffering. But then you do want to seek that advanced level of care through a, you know, a physician or, or somebody else to, to take a look at it. Well, because if you've got internal bleeding, ibuprofen is only going to make it worse. I'll put that in the inappropriate use category. (laughs) All right. So if you're not sure, don't self-medicate. Make sure you talk with your professional about that and figure out what makes the most sense for you. Because in certain circumstances, anti-inflammatories are very helpful if it allows you to get back to your activity and do the exercises you need to to strengthen your body so that you heal whatever that injury is. But it shouldn't necessarily be taken all the time just because and then you don't do anything about the problem you have. And these were meant to be short-term medications. They were never designed to be two, three, four weeks on end. And that's certainly something that I do worry about when I see patients who say, oh, you know, I take hundreds of milligrams of ibuprofen, you know, three, four times a day, and I've been doing it for the last eight weeks. You know, my eyes are going to get wide. Oh, my eyes are like somebody checked their kidney function yesterday. Yes. Because it does go through the kidneys. It could cause a problem. Tylenol, a little bit safer on the stomach, but goes through the liver, could cause a problem. you got to be careful with a lot of these over-the-counter medications. So physical therapy fits in the repertoire of treating back pain. Ryan? Yes? Yes, absolutely. Okay, you're shaking your head yes. I'm like, (laughs) do you think physical therapy helps? So if somebody has back pain and someone's told, okay, go do physical therapy, this might help you, could they use something like ibuprofen to help them do the therapy so that they can get stronger? Is that an appropriate use? I think initially it can be very helpful, especially in maybe tolerating some of the movement patterns that we might take someone through. Um, But again, to kind of echo Dr. Cole's statement, it it is a short-term solution. It's intended to be very short-term. And as opposed to exercise, we want to be the long-term prescription. Now, physical therapy, you you talk to your doctor, you get, or your primary care provider, because some nurse practitioners have corrected me in the past. And they can also order physical therapy. You can, can you see a physical therapist right now without a doctor's order? You can see a physical therapist without a doctor's order if you're going to do the self-pay option, which would be to forego your insurance. Okay. So if you want insurance to help you cover it, get an order from your primary care provider, meet with a therapist, don't poo-poo it because it actually can help you a lot more than you think it can. And I've seen most people have some kind of a benefit. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to thank you both for sharing your expertise with us today because I've learned a lot and I'm going to put you on Facebook doing an appropriate (laughs) lunge and an appropriate squat. So if you want to see that, you can take a look at our Facebook page. But I do appreciate both of you sharing your time and expertise, really helping all of us to get up and get moving. And after this show is over, we're going to get moving because we've 
learned about our posture and we've done all various sorts of things during the hour and want to make sure that we keep going. And I'll think of you the next time I get up outside out of my desk and say, I've got to walk around for a few minutes because I don't want to be stiff later. All right. If you'd like to hear the show again or if you want to see Ryan's lunges and squats, you can head to hawaiipublicradio.org, uh, Hawaii follow the links to The Body Show or check us out on Facebook. That's where the videos will be. Our engineer, David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. See you then.